give our attention now to the reading and the hearing of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill among men. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for keeping it for us, for passing it down through the ages that we might have it this morning. And We thank you that we've understood its reading, and we ask now that by your Holy Spirit, you would work in our hearts to give us spiritual understanding, that you would teach us and train us, correct us, even rebuke us for righteousness' sake. Our heart's desire is that you would make us more like Jesus. So Lord, I pray for your people. I pray that you would do your work in their hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help me, your servant, that you would protect me from error. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you. You are my rock and my redeemer. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid, I had many hopes and dreams. I guess I was like every other kid, including some of you in here now. Of lots of hopes and dreams. I do remember that at one time I wanted to perform with the Blue Angels flying team. I wanted to soar up there in my F-18 and fly with them. I do remember dreaming of one day starting Game 7 of the World Series for the St. Louis Cardinals. Often pretended I was doing that in the backyard, throwing the ball. And I do remember wishing that one day I would have a really big garage full of a lot of classic Corvettes that I wouldn't just look at, but that I would actually drive them as well. But the one persistent dream that I had, the one that I probably talked about more than any other dream, and the one that stayed with me probably too long, uh, even into early or mid-adulthood, was this. 
It was the hope that one day, one day, the Publishers Clearinghouse Prize Patrol would show up to my house. That they would knock on my door and that they would surprise my family. Remember, they had all their balloons and their flowers. The TV cameras were there. And of course, what do we remember? The giant check, right? That really big check declaring that my family had won millions of dollars or more. I remember one time it was like $50,000 a year for life or something like that. I thought, I'm young. This is a good prospect. I mean, how could you, if you've seen them, how could you not watch those commercials? See those people come to the door in their pajamas, all amazed. They get caught up in that, get caught up in the fanfare and dream about, maybe maybe one day this would be me. I thought that would be the most unexpected, best unexpected visit of all time. And so I talked about it and I continue to talk about it even today in my mid-40s. So kids, I'm sorry if you have no idea what I'm talking about. Ask your parents. They should remember. If not, just come on over. We'll talk about it. I'll maybe show you some of those commercials. You know, as amazing of an unexpected visit as that would be, it comes nowhere close to the unexpected visit that is recorded for us in our passage this morning. If you remember from last week, we considered the unexpected circumstances, the circumstances that led to Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, and saw how all of those circumstances were orchestrated by a God, a sovereign God, who planned each and every detail for his glory and the good of his people. And now this week, the story continues with a majestic announcement An announcement of Jesus' birth. And it's an announcement that comes to an unexpected group of people. But with a purpose that goes far above anything that we might expect on our own. For this unexpected visit comes with a divine comfort. A divine comfort for anyone who has been given ears to hear. For this unexpected visit reminds us, hope has a way of showing up in unexpected places. So if you're taking notes to guide our study of this passage, Luke 2, 8 through 20, I'm going to lead us through it in, not surprisingly, three parts. And these three parts are going to make up our outline. I'll give it to you up front. Number one, hope is proclaimed. In our passage, we see that hope is is proclaimed. Second, we see in our passage that hope is believed. Hope is believed. And third and finally, we will see that hope is celebrated. Hope is celebrated. Hope is proclaimed, it is believed, and it is celebrated. If you were to pick any group of people to which the announcement of Jesus' birth was to be proclaimed, and you lived then, shepherds would have been at or near the bottom of that list. You may not know this, but shepherds in this day were outcasts. Shepherds lived out in the fields, so they were unable 
to keep the ceremonial law according to the people of Israel. And that made them unclean. They were considered unclean people. Furthermore, they had a reputation in their day. They were known as liars and thieves. And you may or may not know this, but in this day, the testimony of shepherds was not admissible in court. They were not to be trusted. Hmm. And yet they're getting this announcement. Shepherds were despised. And along with lepers, they were considered the lowest of the lower class in all of Israel. Yet it was to these lower class, working class people that hope is proclaimed. We tend to think in our own minds that God is only for the good people. But like everything else surrounding the birth of Jesus, God takes those kind of expectations and what does he do with them? He turns them completely on their head. The truth is that God is for needy sinners. God is for needy sinners, whether they be rich or poor, accepted or shunned, shepherds or Caesars. God is for needy sinners who are desperate for grace. And so to these needy sinners, a wondrous announcement comes. Here they are, minding their own business, out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. When suddenly, the word there, suddenly and overwhelmingly, an angel of the Lord appears right there. And the very glory, this is a reference to the Shekinah glory of God, shines all around them. Now you see, almost every time the Bible records the appearing of such glory, the Shekinah glory, the outward visible manifestation of the invisible God, there is an immediate reaction from those who are nearby to see it. Do you know what that reaction is? Yeah, fear. Fear. People hide their eyes from it. People are absolutely overcome by it and overwhelmed by it. Like Isaiah, they're completely undone. And the shepherds here in verse 9 are no different. No different. It says, look what it says, they were filled with great fear. When I first heard this verse, probably, if I remember right, I was young, the youngest some of you, and I was listening to a Christmas pageant, I heard this in the King James Version, so I was chuckling at all kinds of things throughout it, but the way it's worded here in the King James Version, this particular phrase has always stuck with me. Maybe some of you know it, maybe some of you have it in front of you. It says that the shepherds were sore afraid, that they were sore afraid. And I remember asking, uh, I think it was my friend's dad or someone, uncle or something, I said, what does that mean? What does sore afraid mean? And he looked at me and he said, boy, have you ever rode a horse and it thrown you off so bad you were so sore that you were afraid to get back on it? That's what it means. Okay. I actually repeated that many times. I don't know if that's exactly what it means, but I think what it gets at is you're afraid like you've never been afraid ever in your life the most afraid you've ever been. 
at such a glorious appearing as this. Put yourself in their sandals, right there in the middle of that field, minding your own business, keeping watch over your flocks at night. The angel of the Lord appears with a Shekinah glory radiating all around. Who wouldn't be sore afraid as well? Who among us would not be just as afraid as they were? But I want you to notice that almost immediately the angel breaks through their fear. What does he say? Fear not. We see that a lot in the Bible, don't we? Jesus had to say it a lot too, didn't he? Fear not. For behold, the angel says, I bring you good news. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For all the people. These words are intentional. They're intended to offer immediate reassurance to these shepherds. The shepherds needed to know that they were safe even in the presence that they're in. So the angel declares to them that his intention is for good. He's there for good. He comes with good news, and it's news that's going to bring great joy to all the people of Israel, to all the nations of the earth, to all the ones whom God is calling to himself. And what's the good news? Look at verse 11. It's right there for you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's here. That's the good news. He's here. It's good news, and it's good news of blessed hope. The words here are important. The covenant seed of David is here. The Savior who will deliver his people from their bondage, from their bondage to sin, is here. The anointed Messiah, Christ the Messiah, whom God had promised to send one day, is here. The very Son of God, who is also Lord, has now been born. Born in Bethlehem, in the city of David. The angels announcing that hope has come into the world. So an unexpected visit to an unexpected group A lowly band of shepherds has caused hope to pierce through the darkness of the night and to shine the light of the glory of God on a world that is in desperate need of God's grace and hope. And that's what is proclaimed. We see first that hope is proclaimed. What we see next is hope is believed. Hope is believed. That's our second point this morning. To help the shepherds believe the hope that has been proclaimed, the angel tells them that God has given to them a sign, a clear sign, a sign that will confirm this promise. Look at verse 12 again. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Perhaps the shepherds are thinking, uh, how are we going to know for sure we have the right kid? How can we know for sure? How will they know which one was the Christ? Is he going to have like a sign that says this is the Christ? 
No, the angel makes it simple, right? Go. All you had to do was find the baby who's lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. You see, the point of this sign was not so much to tell the shepherds what Jesus was going to be wearing. That was common enough to wrap a child in cloth. The key to this sign is where they're going to find him lying. That's what would have stuck out to them. The angel had to tell them this. If not, there's no way they would have ever believed it. Think about it. Who in the world would ever expect to find a baby lying in a feeding trough for animals? Who would have ever thought to look there? Let alone a baby that was given to the world as the promised Messiah, seed of David, God made flesh, the eternal son. Who would believe that? So they were given a sign. And what follows this sign is something, I think, like a divine exclamation point. For just as soon as the sign is announced, and I can just picture these guys taking this in, right? We read that suddenly, it's almost immediately, a multitude, a multitude of heavenly angels appear all around them. And a hymn comes down from heaven. A hymn comes down from heaven and glorious singing erupts. Glory to God in the highest, or in Latin, Gloria in excelsis Deo. I will not sing that for you right now. Abram, <laughs> you know it. Gloria in excelsis Deo. And surely what just happened just takes their breath away. I want you to think about it for a moment. From all eternity, since these angels had been created by God, Jesus... God, the eternal son, had enjoyed such worshipful praise from the angels. He had lived in the very presence of that in heaven. These angels praising him all the time. And now that praise comes down to earth and human ears get to hear it. Human ears get to hear it. How magnificent That must have been a hymn from heaven comes down to some ears of a shepherd. Kind of wish I could go back in time and be there, right? How glorious and great that must have been. For those of you who have been with us for a while, we saw a lot of the future glory of heaven and even what's going on in heaven now when we studied the book of Revelation, didn't we? Those angels, the multitude around the throne, worshiping and praising. So we may not be able to go back in time, but we know that we're going forward into eternity and we get to join that chorus even then. So when we sing it now, as we'll sing it this week, it's a foretaste of that coming singing we will do in heaven. Well, there's a lot of use of the word sudden or immediate in this text. So just as suddenly as the angels had unexpectedly appear, they suddenly vanish. And now I want you to put yourself back in the sandals of the shepherds. What do you think is going through their mind? 
hey, did that just happen? Hey, did you see that too? I'm not crazy, am I? Y'all been there, you've seen something like really awesome and then you've been like, wait, did that just happen? Did that really just happen? Did you hear what I heard? Did you see what I saw? Whatever was going through their minds, and we can spend all morning speculating, here's what we can do though. We can know what wasn't going through their minds. Look again at verses 15 and 16. When the angel suddenly went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. What we see here is faithful belief. This is faithful belief. Let us go and see, they say. They take off in a hurry. Literally, they take off running. They went running. Reminds me of Peter and John when word comes to them that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. And what did they do? They ran back to the tomb. And of course, because they're guys, it was recorded in one of the gospels who won the race, right? All right. They ran back to the tomb. It reminds me of that. These shepherds run. They run to Bethlehem. They go and see for themselves what they had just been told. And you know what? That's what hope does. That's what hope does. Hope breaks through the darkness of our souls. It awakes within us a newfound expectation of something good, something better. That's what hope does. But unless we grab a hold of that hope, unless we run to it, all it remains is nothing more than a wish. But when hope does show up at your front door or in the field, when it comes to you at night, and the hope being proclaimed fulfills a promise that meets the deepest longings of your heart, the only true and proper response is belief. It's faith that says, I have to go see this for myself. I've heard about it, but that's not enough. I have to go and experience it for all that it's worth. So in such believing faith, these shepherds run to Bethlehem, and according to verse 16, which we just read, they find everything just as it was told to them. And what do they do when they see it? They start telling everyone what had happened to them. Everything that had been said about this child. And at this retelling, we begin to see our third and final point this morning, that hope is celebrated. Hope is celebrated. The celebration begins when we read in verse 18 that all who heard it wondered. They were filled with wonder at what the shepherds had told them. This doesn't mean that everyone who heard it believed. Necessarily, we don't know that, that they believed all that they said about Jesus and who this baby was. I mean, people were no doubt surprised by their story. You would have been in that day like, really, guys? Like, get out of here. You're unclean, right? Like, what's going on? 
but people heard it. They were surprised by their story. In fact, they probably kept talking about it for months and maybe years afterward, maybe thousands of years afterward. They kept talking about it. I mean, isn't that what we're doing right now? Aren't we sharing their story over and over and over again? The news that they received that night is still celebrated today. And it's 2021, right? Yes, in 2021. And it's shared by believers and unbelievers alike. I mean, think about it. We live in largely a post-Christian secular culture now. We have one like ours. How many people who would never enter the doors of a church tune their radios to sing Christmas music? And think about some of the things that they sing. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Or hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Or even repeat the words that the angels themselves proclaimed. In verse 14, Gloria in excelsis Deo. I guess good news is good news, isn't it? Truth is truth. And the unexpected sudden appearance of Jesus proclaimed to an unexpected group of lowly shepherds by an unexpected visit from a heavenly host of angels is not just good news, it's great news of great joy and it's news to be celebrated. So I do my best and I want to encourage you to do the same, to tamper that bubbling cynicism, you know what I'm talking about, comes up in my heart when I hear people who don't know Jesus, don't care about Jesus, blaspheme Jesus, and yet I hear them singing these Christmas songs. Rather, I've tried and I'm learning how to have joy in my heart at that, to be thankful that God's marvelous hope is still being talked about and it's still being spread and it's still being shared. And even though I've been given faith, not because of anything I've done, the Holy Spirit has changed my heart and given me faith in Jesus Christ. It reminds me that I need Jesus just as much as they do. And it drives me to prayer. Prayer for them. So I know it's best to wait till the day after Thanksgiving. But when we hear that music and you go through the stores or you hear people who you know don't know Jesus singing that, thank God the news is still being shared and God, would you be with them? Would you save them just as you saved me? Well, I also want you to note from verse 19 that Mary's response goes even deeper than those around her. This word wonder was used. Now we get a couple of other words. Luke notes, and this probably comes from Mary's own later testimony as Luke the historian is interviewing all these people. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart treasuring and pondering. The shepherd's adoration of her newborn baby must have been a great comfort to her for what they were told about him, and you can go back and look for yourself, is exactly what she had been told by the angel Gabriel, the seed of David, the Messiah, the Lord. Nevertheless, Mary had to, maybe in our language today, mull it over. Mary had to mull it over a little bit. And you know what? Mary would do this throughout her whole life. 
She would. You can read the Gospels and see those times, right? Where you could see that it was hard for her with what was going on. But just think about it. Now put yourself in Mary's sandals. When she took him to the temple to be circumcised eight days later, according to the law. Think about what was going through her mind. How about when he turned the water into wine at the wedding feast? What was going through her mind? How about when he hung there upon the cross at Calvary? And he looked at John and said, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. There she was, pondering and treasuring these things in her heart. Mary was in a unique position as his earthly mother to do so to treasure these promises about him and deeply contemplate them in her heart. What Luke tells us here is just the beginning of a lifelong journey in the most unique motherhood that anyone had been called to. But nevertheless, Mary had saving faith. And we know this for sure. You can look over in Acts 1.14. If you need textual proof, she's there with the gathered believers in Jerusalem after Jesus ascended and to heaven, along with his brothers. There they were, counted among the believers. You see, Mary celebrated the hope of Jesus in her own way. A good reminder for all of us that celebration often looks different for different people. But no matter how it looks, celebration is grounded in faith, true, God-honoring, Christ-centered celebration is not just something we do in tradition. It's celebration that's grounded in faith and looks to the object of that faith. And the object of faithful celebration is none other than hope. The hope of the world that took on flesh right there was now lying in that manger. God the Son. All that aside, we cannot overlook the final reaction of these shepherds as it's recorded by Luke. Look again with me at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I love the celebration of hope by these simple men. They had heard about it. They believed it. They went and saw it for themselves and now satisfied that it was true. What did they do? They glorified and praised God. And you know what? We can do the same. We join their celebration when the words we say and the songs we sing are rooted and grounded in the exact same faith that they had. When we hear it, when we believe it, maybe even after we test it, and try it, examine it, we experience it. It becomes ours through grace. For all of us who glorify and praise God for the saving hope we have found in Jesus, we believe it with all of our heart and we hold on to it with all of our life. So I have to ask you a simple question Have you believed? Have you believed? When you sing the songs of Christmas, do you believe what you are singing? Do you really believe it? 
Do you put all of your hope in the one and only hope of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have not done that, let me encourage you, today is the day of salvation. Do that today. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He stands ready to receive you and to forgive you and to welcome you. If you want to talk to somebody about that, about what that means, we have elders here at the church. Maybe you're here with a friend or a family member or you can come and find me. I'm usually out there in the foyer right after church. Let's talk. Seek the Lord Jesus while he may be found is my encouragement to you this day if you do not believe in him. I want to close by reminding you what I said at the beginning. Hope always has a way of showing up in unexpected places. It did so those many years ago when it showed up in an unexpected visit to a lowly group of outcast shepherds. It did for me many years ago when I was there uh, in my room reading the Bible after I've been shared the gospel many times. I came alive in faith and believed in the Lord Jesus. It was very unexpected. You know what? It continues to do so each and every day, perhaps even today. As hope dawns in our hearts and hope reawakens us to the great salvation that we've been given through Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not just that one time believing in Jesus. It's the ongoing belief in Jesus. That everyday battle that we have to say, I believe this is true for me. I believe in the Lord Jesus. So listen, you're going to gather together this week as a church on Christmas Eve is with your family, with your friends. You're going to gather and you're going to celebrate the greatest gift that's ever been given. And yes, kids, I understand you're going to open some gifts too. And you know what that goes for adults. I'm excited to open my gifts, right? We're going to celebrate together. But don't forget that the greatest gift we've ever been given is Jesus. Jesus is the greatest gift. So I want you to celebrate with hope. Hope in your hearts. Hope inexpressible and hope filled with glory. Hope that is truly yours because of God's wondrous grace and the saving faith that he's given to you through the Holy Spirit. Faith in that baby born there in Bethlehem, the eternal son of God who took on flesh for you, for me, the hope of the world. Amen and amen. Would you grab your bulletins? Our affirmation of faith this morning comes, words similar to what I just said, comes from 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. It's printed for you there. Would you join your hearts and your voices with me as we recite this together? Though we have not seen him, we love him. Though we do not now see him, we believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Amen.
And thanks be to God for his word. I'll ask someone if they have not already to go downstairs and let the kids know that we are coming to the table. Thank you. And as we come to the table, as we do most Sundays, we do so in response to the proclamation of the gospel, to the preaching of the good news about Jesus Christ. We also do so because the Lord Jesus has told us to observe this sacrament, to come to his table and taste and see that he is indeed good. And so week after week, when we are able, we come to this table and we remember We remember the Lord Jesus. We remember his birth and we remember his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension. We remember the price that had to be paid for our sin. Remember that there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. There are not enough animals to be sacrificed to take away our sin but it took the perfect spotless lamb of God coming and offering himself up as both priest and sacrifice for our sin so that we could be forgiven. And when we hear that, what do we want to do? We want to celebrate, right? We want to say, praise God. And so those of us who have faith in Jesus, when we remember what he's done, we say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me. That when you went to the cross, you became sin for me so that in you, I might become the righteousness of God, that I might be justified by faith. And so we remember and we celebrate. And we also come and we receive. We believe that the Lord Jesus is here with us by his spirit, that the Holy Spirit is with us. And he is ministering grace upon grace unto our hearts. That we are being strengthened and encouraged and nourished as we join together and participate as brothers and sisters in his body and blood. So with that in mind, I'll remind you that this table is for all those who are followers of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you are a believer, you are a Christian and you are welcome at this table. But if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, then I implore you not to come looking for Jesus here at this table amongst these things. Would you remain seated and would you seek him where he is now in heaven, where he stands ready to to hear you, to receive you, and to save you? Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for this wonderful sacrament that we have been called by our Lord Jesus to not only observe, but to celebrate and participate. I thank you that this reminder for us can be a weekly point where we can look forward to and even look back on and be encouraged to know that, oh God, you have indeed saved us by your grace And that we belong unto you by faith. And so, God, would you minister to the hearts of your people this morning through the taking of communion? Would you take these common elements and set them apart for the use at this time? Oh, God, would you be honored and glorified in and through it all, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.